G'day, welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and I successfully maintained that weight loss now, coming up two years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book, The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast and this is episode 69. So today I'm going to be talking with Maureen Leclerc, and Maureen is a 61-year-old woman who lives in Alberta, just north of Edmonton in Canada. And Maureen grew up in the area and has very strong ties to the local community. She is the second youngest of five children, and her weight has always been a concern for as long as she can remember. She has lost, gained back, lost, gained back multiple times throughout her life, starting as a child around eight years of age, following traditional calories-in, calories-out, low-fat diets, and Maureen has had a few trials and tribulations in her life, which she'll tell us about in this podcast. So welcome, Maureen. Oh, g'day, Maureen, and uh, welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Graham. I'm absolutely delighted to join you. Thank you so much. Your uh, journey is very inspirational, and I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy your story. So, Maureen, for people that don't know you out there, if you wouldn't mind just giving us some background on you, some backstory about any issues you had through your life with weight and health and that sort of thing, and, and how you actually found your way to your intermittent fasting uh, journey. Absolutely. I'm happy to do that, Graham. And I'll just say, first off, uh, full disclosure that I'm not a healthcare professional, and I don't in any way profess to be a, an expert when it comes to fasting. I'm... Um, just sharing my personal experience and my learnings, and there's so much more to learn. So a bit about me. Um, I live in rural Alberta uh, in an area I was born and raised in. I'm 61, so born in 1959. I'm about 5 foot 10 high, which is about 178 centimeters. My heavy At my heaviest weight that I know of was about July of 2019. And at that point I weighed 305 pounds, which is about 138 kilograms. And as of March 20th is the last time I weighed myself, I was 165 pounds. Uh, and so I say I only weigh myself once a month, typically the last Friday of each, of each month. I have no reason to think that I'm any heavier than that. And to put it in a little more perspective, I know people that have known me, and I've just recently told them what my heaviest weight was, uh, you know, to a person, they say they never would have imagined that that was my weight, but it was. And my size in ladies' clothing here in Canada, <clears throat> excuse me, I was wearing a 20, 22, and now I fit very comfortably into a size 10 jean. So it's a major transformation. So I should also say I've never had any underlying health issues. Uh, I've never had any issues with blood sugar. I've never had any issues with cholesterol or 
blood pressure levels are all within normal. I do have an underactive thyroid and have been on medication for that for about 15 years. I can remember going for physicals and my, uh, my doctor would say, like, how are you doing? I said, well, other than my weight, you know, really good. And she would say, yeah, your weight is a concern, but quite seriously, you're healthier than a lot of my slim or thin patients. So that kind of lulled me into a false sense of security for many years, Graham. Um, I'm the second youngest of five kids and the, all the others of the four, when at least in their younger days, were never had any issues with weight. I was the only one that did. My mom was a nurse and she was always uh, doing something to try and lose weight. Uh, she never was obese, but she always struggled with her weight. And my dad was a big, tall guy and always a healthy weight. I can tell you that, uh, you know, Growing up, I was really active. I was an active child. I lived in the country. We rode our bikes everywhere. I was engaged in sports and just doing a lot of work. Uh, outwardly, I think people would describe me that I was really happy-go-lucky and I had lots of friends and a very busy life. But I can tell you that inside, I was always, always very self-conscious about my weight and I lacked confidence because of that. You know, always being the big girl, being uh, teased and bullied about your weight. Uh, the irony of it is, is now I look back at those pictures of that young girl. And when I look at them, I think, man, like I really wasn't, I mean, I was chunky for sure, but by today's standards, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be, I certainly was not uh, obese. I was mildly overweight, but in my mind, I've, I've always been that fat kid. So, um, then, you know, as a young ad adult, I embraced a, a lifestyle that involved a lot of partying and drinking. And, um, but in the midst of that, I was still very active and I was all, I have always been very, very physically strong. And I took pride in my strength and did a lot of physically demanding work throughout my life. Uh, there's absolutely no question that I was an emotional eater. Uh, food was always a source of comfort. And I think, I think it was maybe even in your book that I read that, you know, I, I ate when I was happy and I ate when I was sad. I ate when I was rejoicing and I ate when I was grieving. Um, my weakness has always, always been like the salty snacks, the breads. Those were my drugs of choice. I was never one for fast foods or soda drinks. They'd say, like, quit eating fast foods and drinking pop and you'll lose weight. And I go, well, I've never done either of those things, really. Really never had a sugar addiction. I'd like a little bit of sugary something once in a while as a treat. Uh, for the most part, I had really a healthy diet. Like, I love whole foods and unprocessed foods. But what I would do is I'd eat a big meal and I wouldn't feel satisfied. And two hours later, I'd be sitting in front of the TV or uh, reading a book or something, and I'd have a big bowl of buttered popcorn and a drink or two, you know, two hours after a big meal. So definitely I ate too much. So now, you know, I'm getting to be 40, and I probably at that time, if I had to guess, my weight was probably around the 260 range. And I thought, okay, I need to do something about it. And, and um, so I really went on this really aggressive calorie in, calorie out program. I was in the gym. 
an hour and a half a day, six days a week, uh, doing a um, combination of cardio and, and weight training, strength training. And I did achieve great results. I went down to a size 16, which for me was the smallest I'd ever been. But it really required saying no to everything. Like, no, I can't do that. No, I can't go there. And I wasn't, I didn't drink at all. I, it was just, I can't do that. I'm going to the gym. I can't do that because, you know, I can't eat or drink all of that. So super, super disciplined and really at the end of the day, not sustainable. So then in uh, 2000, and that was in my forties and I maintained, you know, I maintained a reasonably healthy weight for a number of years, but never to the level that I got to when I was at my slimmest. Um, and then in 05, I got married and my lifestyle went underwent a very major change. Um, the gym was no longer, I didn't have an hour and a half, six days a week to plus a full-time job and a, <clears throat> excuse me, a home to maintain. I didn't have time for that in a relationship. That, I don't mean that as an excuse. That's just the reality of the situation. <clears throat> and I can tell you that um, the marriage it was not a healthy relationship. And it was not a healthy living situation. And with it, the weight just started coming back on with a vengeance. And uh, to be really honest, the next few years of my life were a very dark period in my life. And they were filled with a lot of trauma and stress. Um in the midst of living in a toxic environment, a marital situation, I had uh, five immediate family, well, close to immediate family members pass away in a seven-year period. My, my parents, and they were both older, but they passed, and I had two older sisters. The second eldest passed in 2011 with ALS, and she was 60. And uh, my brother and his wife lost uh, their eldest son in a car crash in 2014. And then my eldest sister, who did suffer with morbid obesity in the last years of her life, uh, she passed of brain cancer in 2015 at 65. So right about then, I, I was dealing with all this stress and trauma. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my doctor put me on an anti-anxiety medication which I really needed. I did need that. It was a life-saving at the time, but I really found with that, then the weight was really, really piling on once I went on that medication. <clears throat> so in about 2016, when I was about 280 pounds, I went for a medical checkup and my doctor said, asked me if I would consider gastric bypass surgery. And I kind of forgot about that, that that even happened, Graham, until I started kind of thinking about talking to you tonight. I, I kind of, that just kind of went out of my head for a while. So that really shocked me. Thank you. And that false sense of security I had was gone. So I thought, no, I don't want gastric bypass surgery. So then she referred me to the like a health network. And I went for nutritional counseling. And, and again, I got back onto that calories in cal calories out cycle. And it was that whole say no to everything, write down absolutely everything that you eat and measure it and track it. And, and it was very much the, 
you know, with the theory that eat small, constant meals, small, frequent meals through the day, because you got to keep your furnace, keep your metabolic rate burning, like fuel the furnace, fuel the furnace, like eat small, frequent meals. So again, I did that and I managed to lose about 50 pounds. And then that was in about 2016. I was still married, but uh, in 2017, uh, my marriage finally came to an end when I'll be, um, and this, I've tried to decide whether or not I would share this with you and with the listeners, but it really is an important part of my journey. And I suspect that there's people out there listening that uh, may have had a similar journey of their own, but uh, my marriage ended when my then husband was removed from the home by the police and was uh, arrested and subsequently convicted of aggravated assault against me. So that was good that that, that part of my life journey was over. Um, but then there was still the divorce process and it was devastatingly difficult and those years left me emotionally, spiritually, and physically, and financially broken. And over the next years, those 50 pounds came back on plus more, which brought me up to where I got a few years ago. But by 2019, I had a beautiful new home. Um, and I surrounded, I'm so blessed with amazing people in my life. My family and my friends are amazing. And they basically helped rescue me and helped me rebuild my life. And during the summer of 2019, uh, an out-of-province friend came to visit me. And while she was here, she took a selfie of the two of us and when I saw that picture, once again, I was shocked. Like I looked at that and went, holy smokes, is that what I really look like? And it really, really shocked me. And I thought, okay, I really do. I need to do something or I'm going to die. And on a, I really thought of my two sisters. And that's why I talked about them, because that was another really pivotal part of my journey. Is I thought of them and that both of them had passed away at relatively young ages. And I knew how grateful that each of them would be to just have one more day to spend with their kids and, and hold, or in one case, meet their grandkids. And I really felt that I owed it to them to do something. And I was going to be 60 that year. And I thought, okay, I, ne I need to find some way to take control of this. So I bought a book. It's called Women, Food, and God, and the author's name is Janine Roth. I bought it a few years ago and it sat on, sat on my shelf. So I finally took it off the shelf and read it. And she some, presented some really basic principles about eating. And it really had nothing to do with food. Um, she talked about just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, eat without distraction, eat as if you're in plain view of others. And eat when you do eat, enjoy it, eat with gusto. So I really, that got me into what I refer to as mindful eating, which uh, included no snacking or even eating in the evening. And now I look back on it, I think, well, I was really practicing time-restricted eating, just following those basic principles. And doing that, I lost about the first 50 pounds. But all the way through that, Graham, I kept thinking, like, 
okay, so here I am, I'm doing this again and I'm losing it. But that little monkey brain was going around saying, okay, and you know, are you going to be able to keep it off this time? There's always that constant worry. And I, I don't know that I mentioned it, but sometime along there, I went off that um, anti-anxiety medication as well. And I do think that that really was a big help in terms of weight management. So in January of 2020, I saw something on social media about Dr. Jason Fung and his work with fasting. And it kind of reminded me about a year before a young female colleague of mine, and I'll just give a shout out to Jen, uh, someone who I really admire. She's a brilliant young woman. She had mentioned something to me about Dr. Fung and fasting about a year prior to that, but I just, it kind of went in one year and out the next. So when I saw this on social media, I thought, oh, that's what Jen was talking about. So I need to check it out. So I just started devouring information. And there's so much information on YouTube and even more now as you get into it. So I just started devouring the information and trying to educate myself, mostly from YouTube. And being, you got to be, I was very selective about my uh, sources. In addition to Dr. Fung, I watched a, a lot of um, a Dr. Eric Berg and Sten Eckberg, and then this Dr. Ben Bickman. And then I read the book, um, The Obesity Code. And what they were all saying just made so much sense to me. It just, everything just started to click. The pieces started to come together and the idea that it's the release of insulin that occurs every time you eat that's more important than the actual calories that you're eating and that the timing of when you're eating is everything and that whole idea eat small frequent meals to keep your met metabolic rate going strong is really rubbish and the science is confirming that more and more each day I believe. Um, and also that whole low-fat, high-carb diet leaves you feeling deprived and never truly so satiated. Um, I, and I, at 60, I think I'm a relatively bright person, and I learned for the and battling weight most of my life that there's actually a hormone that controls hunger. I never heard that before. Um, Dr. Fung really stresses that the body is smart. And we do things for a reason that is designed in a way to preserve our species. And that's why we store fat and it's meant as a reserve for when we don't have access to food and it's part of our survival. And that if you're constantly eating that you're never gonna access those reserves. Like it just was so logical to me. I remember just being so excited about it. Um, Dr. Bickman uses um, an analogy of two fuel tanks, and he talks if you're running off your main tank all the time, you never access your reserve tank that you've been hauling around on yourself. So I, the fat reserves are, are that reserve tank. Um, and it's really about, I learned through that, and again, I'm not an expert, but it's about lowering the insulin, which is resulting in fat storing and increasing your growth hormone, which is helps with fat burning. And it all made so much sense to me. And so then I just started down the intermittent fasting path. And once I got into it, I found it actually pretty easy. 
and I started with in the in January of 2020. I did um, from January 2020 until the late July 2020. I did one meal a day, and I really ate um, pretty much high fat, low carb most days. However, there were some days that I didn't pay any attention to that. I just ate whatever I felt like it. Um, I also, during that time, as, as I said, I wasn't clean fasting yet. I was adding high fat whipping cream to my coffee and I chewed gum and I ate chewable vitamin C tablets. I didn't eat any food, but I had those things. Um, in late July, early August, I started in, in the midst of the one meal a day, I started integrating either a 48-hour or a 72-hour fast into my schedule. So I would do that in the middle, one meal a day, and then either a 48 or a 72-hour fast. Then I read the book, Life in the Fasting Lane, and it talked about clean fasting. Uh, let me back up. I was doing that and I didn't have any, um, didn't lose any weight in November of 2020, even though I was still doing OMAD, high fat, low carb mostly, and either a 48 or 72 hour a week, I stalled for the whole month of November. So I was listening to the book, Life in the Fasting Lane, and it talked about, you know, clean fasting. And I thought, okay, I, I can do that. And I also decided to switch from the schedule I was on. I went to kind of an alternate day fasting, but really it was one more one meal every other day for the most part. The only days that I ate were uh, within about a two-hour window, Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. So as I say, I, I eat primarily low-fat, or sorry, high-fat, low-carb foods. But when I feel like it, I make a conscious decision to have something like an alcoholic beverage, a food that might be high in carbs or it might be a sweet treat. I'm really somebody who believes that language creates culture and words create worlds. So I'm very consciously say I'm not cheating. I'm choosing. I'm choosing to have those things. And for me, that's a, a really important piece. Um, and even though I've done all those things that I I've strayed from that really strict high fat, low carb diet, I, I still see success. So I, I, that's working for me. I realize it not, it might not work for everyone, but it works for me. I'm just going to put something in here that um, this is not about me as much, but sometimes I see, and when I talk about language and words and how important they are, sometimes I see on some of these fasting networks that we're on that people will say that they really overindulge and they've ate all these things. And so now they're going to fast for like days on end. And I'm not saying this um, to question or judge the approach that anyone else takes. For me, that feels a bit like would for me, that would feel a bit like punishment. And I never want to make fasting feel like I'm punishing myself for something that I've done. I feel privileged that I'm healthy enough and have enough nutritious food available to me that I can fast and be healthy while I'm fasting. 
So it's a healthy choice and never a punishment. Um, the other thing that I just really have noticed in the last little while, Graham, is that in the last couple of months, I've experienced a couple emotional road bumps. Um, nothing major like before, but emotional nonetheless. And I realized that I didn't turn to food. Like for the first time in my life. Like I just continued to follow my program, my schedule. And eat within my window and not overeat. And um, that is probably one of the most liberating things that's ever happened to me when I came to that realization. I just stayed on schedule and I really didn't give it any thought. So where I'm at now is um, when I hit that weight of 165 on March 20th, I was really quite surprised. Like from December 1st until March 20th, 20th, I lost somewhere around 33, 34 pounds. And I was like, wow. And that's a weight I never imagined for myself. Uh, my body still has healing to do. I say clothes are a wonderful thing. So I know that I, I still have some healing to do, but I decided that I was going to go back to one meal a day and uh, clean fasting. My original design was to do that alternate day or one meal every day until the end of March. But on March 20th, I thought, okay, I think I'm going to switch back to one meal a day and put that with the clean fasting. And I'm really excited to see where I'm going to be at the end of April. As I say, I don't weigh myself. Uh, I weigh myself once a month. And uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, what living like this will mean for me at the end of program yeah that's a uh a great backstory you've just given there you've given people so many insights into your journey and i think that's fantastic what you've saying also like to pause for a second and let's remember the people that you've lost in your life that you mentioned there and we honor their memory today in this podcast and also i'm really super glad that you're out of that toxic relationship and all that stress and, and i know that stress is one of the great drivers of weight gain for a lot of people. So I'm really glad you're in a happy place now, and I think um, you're on this journey and you're going to do very well. But I'd like to start with talking about the clean fast. Now, you mentioned there that you were dirty fasting and, and you had reasonably good success with that, even though you were dirty fasting, because you didn't really know about the clean fast at the time, maybe. So when you made that switch after you read that in Dr. Fung's book, and then you talked about you went on and lost another 30-odd pounds in the next following few months. Do you think that was attributable to switching to the clean fast? You know, Graham, if, if the clean fast was the only change that I made, if that was the only variable, I could say with certainty, yes. But because I also went, I switched up my fasting schedule itself as well, I can't say that with certainty. I believe that it's made a difference. Like the results, you know, considering like I went to one meal every other day and saw, and the clean fasting at the same time. But prior to that, I was only one meal a day. And then in the middle of the week, I'd either do a, a 48 or a 72 hour fast. So, you know, if I had to guess, I would say, yes, the clean fasting has made 
a very significant difference. I'll certainly know that by the end of this month, back yeah. on the one meal a day, because I'm back to the one meal a day. I'm not doing any extended fast and the, and the clean fasting. So, yeah. And it's quite interesting. I mean, I talk to a lot of people on this podcast, as you know, and um, behind the scenes, I talk to probably dozens more. And quite often, a lot of them do start off with the dirty fasting purely because they don't know any different and they just want to do that. Some people use that as a crutch to get through. And I know Dr. Fung, I mean, he's treating some very, very obese people um, in his clinics and that sort of thing. And I think I've heard him talk about this before on the Two Keto Dudes podcast where he said that um, he'd rather see people uh, doing that sort of thing, dirty fasting and not fasting at all. And I guess if they're 450 pounds and he's trying to save their life, then there's some merit behind that. And we've got to respect Dr. Fung's knowledge. He's obviously one of the leaders in the fasting community in the scientific world. But for me, the clean fast absolutely was the magic that worked Um, because it wasn't just about the weight loss for me. I really think the clean fast was instrumental in in that inner healing. Um, Things like curing my psoriasis, uh, getting rid of that in six months, completely disappearing. Nothing else had ever worked in my life. And I'm pretty sure when we have that period of where we're not spiking our insulin all day and we're letting our organs have a rest from digesting food and we're just giving our chance for our cells to regenerate and we're burning those fat stores for energy instead of using that energy that we're getting from that cream and the coffee and the chewing gum and everything like that that's spiking our insulin. And I'm a great believer in the clean fast and that's my theory um, and I highly respect Dr. Fung and anybody else out there. And as you mentioned there, we don't judge anybody here on the fasting highway about what they do. But for me, the clean fast is paramount. Yeah, I, I'm i going to echo that. Um, I think if I had heard some of that information back when I first started fasting, I probably would have started right with clean fasting right off the get-go as well. Since, you know, I re- I've, listen to I've listened to Jen Stevens a bit more as well. She has some things on YouTube and I know she certainly promotes clean fasting. And again, it makes perfect sense to me. I really didn't believe that um, based on the information that I had before, I didn't think that that thought because it's high fat whipping cream is just fat and it doesn't spike insulin doesn't trigger an insulin response, but I'm learning more and more that even though it might be a very, very minimal response, and certainly the gum and the chewable vitamin C tablets, uh, you know, it was like, ding, ding, of course. So as soon as I heard that, I went, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm stopping. I'm going to clean fasting. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this as well as I can and get all the benefits. So, uh, so let's talk about your weight loss then. Um, let's talk about when you first came to intermittent fasting uh, last year there, early in 2020, and we were just heading into the pandemic then, obviously, as well. And a lot of things were happening around the world and stresses oh, of that. So your weight loss was quite rapid. Can you just run us through what that was like in the first six months or eight months until you hit that stall? Sure, and I'll have to say, and you know, People have commented, like, how did I manage to do this during COVID? And I'm like, wow, thank goodness I discovered this before COVID. Because if I was still living and eating the way that I was prior to that, I I can't even imagine 
I, I just can't imagine what kind of shape I'd be in right now. So I just am exceedingly grateful that I had started down this path before that happened. And really it was just, um, I think the few, the few months before that, when I was really practicing mindful eating and no snacking and not eating in the evening, it was really made it easy, an easy transition into fasting. And, and, you know, when people ask me, like, think that they want to give it a try because they see the results that I've had. And I said, like, take it easy, take it easy on yourself, ease your way into it, take small steps, build on your success. Like, don't think you're just going to bang, start fasting and be going, you know, 24 hours or more without eating, without any problem. It doesn't work that way. So I just eased into it. And I, you know, I stopped having breakfast and then, you know, my routine, you know, and this was through the nutritional counseling as well is I would have, you know, I would have breakfast usually at about 6am and it was like a healthy grain of some type and a cup of coffee. And then I'd have a mid morning snack, which was a, like I made these protein balls with chia seeds and peanut butter and I'd have an apple and then I'd have a really healthy like quinoa salad with vegetables at lunch. Didn't usually have an afternoon snack, but then I would have for supper, I'd have something like a stir fry or, so that was kind of how I was eating before. So when I went into fasting, I just said, okay, I'll, I'll stop having breakfast. So I stopped having breakfast. I would just start with that mid-morning snack. And then a week later, I'd say, okay, I'm going to stop that mid-morning snack. So I'd stop the mid-morning snack, and then I would just have my healthy lunch and healthy supper. And, you know, honestly, it was probably about only two, two weeks into it that I started going to one meal a day. And I think, again, because of lead-up that I had to that before, that my body became fat-adapted quite quickly. And I found that transition to one meal a day actually quite quite easy to move into. I didn't really, I, 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 when I first started, I did weigh myself more frequently, like every day or sometimes tw- twice a day. And I found that that just played too many, it played on my emotions too much. Um, and like literally I could see a five pound variation from evening till morning. And I was just, I was finding on an emotional roller coaster weighing myself. So I think initially I switched to maybe weighing once a week. And then quite some time ago, I switched to weighing once a month. So I can't tell you exactly, you know, I haven't charted my weight loss, but I can tell you that um, on December 18th, because that was my birthday, I weighed myself December 18th, 2020. I was uh, 199 pounds and in November I had weighed like 215. So that's where I really saw. So I started clean fasting on December 1st and in November I weighed 215. And then by December 18th, I was 199. So I went from stalling the whole month of November And then into December, going to that alternate day slash one meal every other day, fasting and clean fasting. And I was like, like almost 15 pounds in three weeks. 
So that was pretty significant. And so I thought, okay, well, this is going to work for me, I think. And then just um, went through January. I mean, didn't have any problem at all through the holiday season. I, I indulged, like I had nice meals, I ate treats, I had drinks, but I stuck to my my time-restricted eating sort of schedule, fasting schedule. And um, yeah, between the beginning of January until March 20th, I was... I was down to 165 pounds. So the point, the weights for sure, I can tell you is December 18th, I weighed 199 and March 20th, I weighed 165. Oh, that's fantastic. And can you tell me also when you first started and obviously when we're obese people, well, we know that we've got this ferocious appetite that we just don't seem to be able to control we eat our emotions, we eat our victories, we eat our celebrations, we just eat. And that's, I think most obese people know why we were obese in the first place. When you're really honest with yourself and you sit down and you analyze it, and you know and you look at what you've been eating every week, then you sort of get the picture of where you've sort of been going wrong for a long time. And a lot of things can lead to that. I mean, obesity is a disease. And that's, that's the main thing to recognize, that obesity is a disease. And once it gets into your system, it's like any other disease. You've got to find a cure. You've got to find a way out of it. And I think intermittent fasting has done that. And what I really love about talking to people that have done this during COVID, which has been a sad thing for a lot of people around the world, but also all these people that I've talked to in COVID that have lost this massive amount of weight. And you've got to come out of these lockdowns and go and see people and travel and that sort of thing. And the whole world's going to be so different for you. And I know firsthand experience what it's like traveling in an aircraft or just, you know, moving around in general when you've lost all this weight. So you've got all those freedoms to look forward to of being able to go to any shop you want to and buy any clothes you want to and and just really experience that. So you have all this to look forward to, Maureen. And I, have you experienced any of that in Canada or are you still relatively in lockdown and that sort of thing? You haven't seen too many friends, colleagues? Oh, man, Graham, like the, the COVID situation in Canada is pretty dire right now. But I will tell you that I definitely have experienced it's I'm not locked down to the point where I'm not seeing people and I'm working from home for the most part. But I went into uh, the office that I work out, out of and there's still a few people working out of the office. And of course, we're wearing masks. My hair has changed, it's longer and different color. And literally I had people saying they had no idea who I was until I started talking. Like they're just gobsmacked, like totally gobsmacked is the only. So that's been, and, and so supportive, so incredibly supportive. So that's been really cool. Just, it, you know, for somebody who hasn't lived the life of an obese person, it really is hard to explain. Like I was even telling uh, a really uh, close friend of mine the other day that, you know, I went and bought kayaks and I was so excited to buy, it was one of my goals to buy a kayak that I didn't have to look for one that would carry the weight that I was. Like when you don't have to shop for a kayak that'll carry a 300 pound person, 
you don't even have to look at what the weight, when you're at 165, you don't even have to look at what the capacity is because you know that anyone you look at, unless it's a kid's one, it, you're going to be able to, to fit into and it's going to hold you. It, it's liberating in a way that I've never known before. You know, another, another example of that and just moving around in the world, like people treat you differently when you're obese you know, and, and if you've never experienced that, you wouldn't know that. But I can tell you one thing that, that used to happen to me is I would walk, say I walked by someplace and there were a group of young people and they started laughing. I would automatically think they were laughing about me. Like, Oh, look at the fat lady. They could have been laughing about the joke that somebody just told, but in my mind, they were laughing at me. You know, now when I go out and I'm out in public, I, I, people just interact with you differently. People smile at you. They open the door for you. Um, going, and I'm not saying nobody did that when I was obese. I don't mean to say that, but there's a lightness to it, a lightness that is very hard to describe. And um, 100% get your pain on your in your book. You talk very candidly about tra traveling on airplanes and just how how challenging that was. And uh, I. I echo, I know exactly what that feels like, Graham. And I'm, I'm not six, five, so I can only imagine. Yeah. I'm yeah. shopping for clothes. Like that, that's a, the money I'm not spending on groceries. I'm certainly spending on clothes. I've had to completely replace my wardrobe. So. And people often say to me, Oh, you must save so much money intermittent fasting. Not safe. No. And my wife chuckles. And if you listen to my wife speaking in the, First episode of this podcast, um, my wife, Lou Collins, she talked about what it was like living with an intermittent faster. And one of the things she chuckled about was the amount of money that I'd spent on clothing and what a hit to our bank account that took. And that's true because all of a sudden you have these freedoms that you mentioned. You can do that. You can travel. You can go anywhere you want. You can do whatever you want. And you mentioned there about being treated differently. And I did write about that in my book because... I find that quite painful in post-obesity when I see how obese people get treated now. And I sort of describe it as being, it's like being beamed up by the Starship Enterprise, Star Trek, and you go up as an obese person and then Spock beams you back down and you land on Earth as a normal looking person and you walk out onto the street and everything is different. The stairs are different. And that chuckling you were talking about, the sidewalk chuckling as you, you walk past as a morbidly obese person, and more than likely, they weren't even laughing about you, but you just have that in your mind that they are because you become so, so paranoid about your size and how you feel about yourself. And, and people often say to me, oh, it must have been your demeanor and that sort of thing when you're obese, why you get treated now. And I say, that's a load of BS. I mean, I was always a polite person. I was a very gregarious person, happy-go-lucky. I'd walk into a shop and say, g'day, mate, how you going? You know, and... Um, I would never go into a shop and not recognize the salespeople in there or say hello or, or you know, act like I was a grump or something. So that's just a poor excuse. And I, I saw it firsthand the other day in a shop where an obese guy was just standing there looking lost and all the salespeople were skirting around him because nobody wanted to deal with them. And I just looked at him and I just felt like reaching out to him. But I find it's really hard when you're an obese guy then all of a sudden you're a normal looking guy. And walking up to somebody in the middle of a store or in the street and saying, hey, I can help you. I'll, I'll, let me tell you about intermittent fasting. 
And that just doesn't work. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. I wrote the book. And so people out there that may think the mountain's too high to climb, and I think any obese person gets to that stage in their life where you think, I'm never going to be anything else but obese. Did you ever get to that point where you thought, I am never going to be anything else but obese? Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, even when I lost weight, I still thought that because I've lost and I'm the classic, as I know many of the people that have participated on this podcast have shared as well. Like it's that classic yo-yo dieting, you know, like I may have lost and been marginally smaller, like never, never before in my, since I was a young mid teen, have I been in the average body weight, my BMI and average body weight, like it, that hasn't happened since I was probably 14 or 15, if that. So I never pictured myself being, I thought maybe I could just be overweight and not obese, but to be actual, a normal body weight, never, ever did I imagine that. And in, in the past, when I went on that whole calorie in, calorie out, crazy wheel, I always had that dread that, yeah, it's working now, but for how long and how long before I put it back on? And anybody that's been through that pattern knows that not only do you put it back on, but you put that plus more back on. And it's because, you know, what's happening to your body meta metabolically every time you do one of those. And, you know, I think it it's Albert Einstein that said uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result i know that um when you think about it and you analyze it you know you're talking about they're doing the same thing over and over and that's what i like about intermittent fasting right what i love about it, love it. is that when i got the weight off the 132 pounds 60 kilos and then i thought okay i'm happy here at 220 i'm six foot five i'm lean enough now how am i going to keep this weight off and because Every other diet that I you of, I'd always bounce up and down, like you mentioned. Probably not as drastic as that because most diets would only stay with short term. I never really had long enough to lose that massive amount. I want to talk to you too, Maureen, about what we call the health benefits and the non-scale victories of intermittent fasting. Can you just run us through those? Because you've lost a lot of weight. How has that helped you in that, that respect? Uh, my non-scale victories, I've mentioned, I've mentioned a couple of them, um, clothes, 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 you know, not just looking for something that fits, but something, I have a, a whole range of different styles and uh, that's just so liberating. Um, really, probably the most significant non-scale victories have come with my physical abilities to, to be able to do the things. I like to be active. I'm an outdoorsy, active kind of person. So like I said, you know, buying the kayak, I, I got a pedal bike. I haven't probably ridden a pedal bike in over 40 years. And I bought myself a bike and I've been going out for a ride. And I mean, that just makes me feel like a kid again. Um, I went horseback riding uh, a couple of days ago for the first time in almost 10 years, I used to ride a lot and, and had kind of got out of that for a while. And I said, okay, when I get below 200 pounds, I have lots of friends with horses. So I have lots of opportunities to ride, but uh, when I get under 200 pounds, I'll, 
I'll get back on a horse. So uh, I'm well beyond that, below that. And uh, man, that just felt incredible to be riding again. Um, people comment on my skin a lot. Like I get that a lot that uh, people are saying, oh, your skin, like you're absolutely glowing. And um, also that I just look younger. Like I've, I'm aging in reverse. I hear that a lot. Um, another really big non-scale victory for sure is that, that I realize that I'm not an emotional eater. I think I'll always have to keep it in check. You know, I'll always have to be mindful of that. But um, the last couple of months were a good test of that. And that was really, really a major victory. Um, when I eat, I actually feel feel full and satisfied. I don't feel hungry later. I'm not going looking for something after I eat. That's a major victory. Something I thought about just the other day is, um, you know, one of a very common home decor thing is for people to put mirrors up in their house to kind of give a, open up the space and create more space and sense of space in a home is hanging mirrors. And I was always very, very hesitant to do that. And I realized that I just have put up mirrors in my house lately. And it's because I'm not afraid of walking in front of a mirror anymore. I used to avoid mirrors like crazy. And uh, now I'm, uh, I like the fact that I can hang them up and feel comfortable. So that was, I didn't even realize it until after I had done it, that I had such that an aversion to mirrors. And it's really the the greatest, probably the greatest non-scale victory is just that incredible sense of empowerment that I have, that uh, every day is a new day to embrace the fasting way of life. You have a very powerful mindset. And we know what important part mindset plays in intermittent fasting. And for me, the mental side of it and everything you've been through, I mean, that toxic relationship, losing a lot of loved ones close to you, and now you've transformed your health. That takes a hell of a lot of mindset and a lot of mental strength. And just run us through what part mindset has really played for you and what sort of things do you work on with that? To me, there there definitely is, you know, Obesity, I agree, is a disease, and it's a disease of the body, and it's a disease of the mind and the heart and the soul in many ways. So when I say that, you know, I was broken in very many ways, like getting control of my physical health was a part, big part of that. But I've done a lot of work in trying to um, deal with my emotional injuries and and just my general mindset as well so you know a few things that I've done I did go for counseling for a little while and that really helped um, I really have embraced kind of a meditation slash yoga routine that I integrate into pretty much every day. I do somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes and it's not true yoga. It's not true meditation. It's, it's kind of my own little hybrid of yoga stretch meditation that I do that works for me. The other thing that I found really, especially in the beginning and when I was starting on this, that just 
devouring the information. Like if I was struggling in the beginning about eating, uh, I would just turn on a YouTube video and listen to some of these people and, and get educated and motivated by them. Or I would turn on an audio book. I do a lot of audio books. The other really important part of my healing mentally, emotionally is really being really selective about the people that you surround yourself with, you know, like your tribe, your tribe creates your vibe and, um, and getting rid of some of those toxic influences and relationships and just recognizing that to heal that I needed to do that. So it's a whole yeah. bunch of different things. I, and you know, like, I do have a strong mind and, and people, I, I imagine, you know, if I well, share this with people that have known me, I have friends in my life that literally have known me since I was five years old or if not, if not younger, I think they'll listening to this will be really quite um, taken aback or maybe a bit surprised about some of what I've shared and maybe not known all of that because I do come across, I'm a very outgoing, sociable you know, I tra travel all over and meet people. Even even when I was heavy obese, I could still do that. But that was my outside persona, who I what I was dealing with inside. Very very few people ever came to know that. Yeah, and that's so true. I mean, we all know when we're obese. Outwardly, we can be very jovial, very friendly, very gregarious. But on the inside, a lot of us are screaming. And I know that was true for me. I mean, I was known as a party boy, the life of the party. I've talked about this many times. and But on the inside, I was really screaming about the fact that I couldn't control my obesity. But Maureen, I'd really like to get you back on the podcast probably in another, say, six months' time because I think your journey is worth following up. And probably by that time, I would say you'll be well and truly into maintenance and you can tell us about that, and but I, I'm really, really loving your story, and I think anybody out there that's been listening to this podcast is going to take some real inspiration for it, and thank you for sharing everything that you did so well. So Maureen, thank you for joining me here on the Fasting Highway today. Oh, thank you so much, Maureen. I really enjoyed that chat with you, and I think you gave a very good insight into living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. And you're someone that's overcome a lot of adversity, and I think you're living proof that adversity can be overcome in stressful situations. So well done. I look forward to chatting to you in the future. Anyway, also, folks, don't forget you can join the Fasting Highway Facebook group. Um, we've got over 2,200 fasters in there now, some of the most experienced people from around the world. Uh, we've got some great moderators that can answer your questions. So come and join us there at the Fasting Highway Facebook group. Uh, if you do want to read my book, The Fasting Highway, uh, you can get that on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle. Or if you're in Australia or New Zealand, uh, you can get it direct from me on the website at www.thefastinghighway.com. Anyway, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.